In this episode, we're talking with Will Barfield, founder and owner of Barfield Revenue Consulting, a company that helps startups scale their sales teams and their revenue groups. Will has been in the sales game for more than two decades uh, as a self-proclaimed bag-carrying outside sales rep and has experience and strategies to bring value to organizations. Uh, we talk about how our ecosystem in the triangle stacks up as it relates to talent. Um, you know, we're known as a great place for talent and tech talent. Um, it's lower cost of living, lower price of labor than big markets. So we, we always fall right in under those. And we talk about how I personally think um, there's an underrepresentation of our sales talent. So Will breaks that down for us. Uh, Will also talks about three tips uh, for founders hiring their first salesperson. So that's important to listen out for. And then we lastly hear from him about how he's grown his LinkedIn from a few thousand uh, connections to over 15,000 or 14,000 and change, I should say, uh, in under a year's time. And that segues nicely into how we are doing sales in the new normal and how we're building relationships and how we all could benefit from a, you know, add value first uh, and expect nothing in return mentality. So I basically gave away the whole episode, but uh, this is a guy who's awesome. I love talking with him and I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation. Thanks. All right, well, let's get rolling. So uh, Will, welcome to Next Matters Most podcast, a Thank show you. on the uh, future of business entrepreneurship and technology. Um, like, so yeah, so let's get rocking. Um, Will is the owner of Barfield Revenue Company, which helps companies build and scale sales teams, among many other things. So mm -hmm. instead of uh, butchering that too bad, why don't you give us your, your bio? Thank you, Nick. Happy to do that. First of all, I appreciate the invitation very much. Uh, I appreciate your friendship for many, many years. Uh, I appreciate the business that we've done together and the things that we're going to do later that we haven't even figured out yet. Uh, that's one of the cool things about being connected to you is there's never a lack of ideas or uh, you're, you're an endless spring of creativity. And uh, so the, the closer I am to you, the, the more cool things I get to come in contact with. So that's why when you asked me to do this, I said, absolutely. And without hesitation. Uh, my bio is, gosh, I'm, I'm a native North Carolinian. Um, went to high school in Raleigh, went to college at UNC like Nick. Um, we were there at the same time, a little overlapped a little bit, uh, but I finished up in 98 and I've been in sales ever since. Um, spent 19 years as a outside B2B cold calling, bag carrying hunter prospector. And 16 of those 19, when I was out working local territory sales, I was managing other folks. So I had, you know, hire, train, fire of my own teams for over a decade and a half. Uh, got into the recruiting business. In 2004, was very fortunate uh, that my wife referred me to Rod and Lee Frankel, the owners of Frankel Staffing Partners, and I have spent 12 and a half years with them in a sales and sales leadership capacity. But one of the cool things that happened during that span of time with them, and you know this because you were uh, out of school at the time, Nick, and trying to you know figure out what you were going to do for a career in the mid to late 2000s, we had just a bunch of you know startup companies and software and technology and uh, development that were sprouting up and I was meeting with them trying to sell them Frankel services and at the time the agency that I worked for did no IT and they still don't they don't do any uh, tech positions Frankel um, but they did admin and CSR and accounting finance human resources operations and a lot in biotech and pharma and clinical but when I was meeting with you know Nick Jordan, the tech entrepreneur, you know, a lot of the, the need questions around talent came back to, you know, salespeople like, Hey, or account managers. Look, I don't, I don't need admins right now, but you know, can you help me hire salespeople? A lot of them were, you know, BDR, SDR, kind of that early stage appointment setting demo booking kind of folks, particularly in the software as a service space. And at the in early meetings, I was saying, no, no, you know, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't do that kind of stuff, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll be in touch and we agreed to be friends. And, um, you know, I just paid attention as I had more and more of those meetings and there was more and more of those asks and there did not appear from what I could tell to be a solution in town that was solving that problem. So one day I just got sick of it and 
the CEO said, hey, you know what? It's great to meet you. Appreciate the networking. Good to know the staffing agency's here in case we need those kinds of solutions. By the way, you know, you didn't mention this, but do you happen to staff salespeople? We need some, you know, appointment setters, lead gen. And I said, yeah, we sure do. And uh, took that job, went back to the office and met with the owners and said, okay, this is a market opportunity. This, I keep getting asked about this over and over again. No one has stepped in. Let's step in. Let's do this. And, you know, for them, it was like, that's a risk. You know, we don't have an internal sales recruiter. We don't have a pipeline. You know, what's your plan? I said, let me keep one of these. Let me try it. You know, let me have one of your monster ad slots. And between that and my local network, because I'm from here, I can probably, you know, blunder my way into filling this thing. And um, they let me keep it. They agreed to pay me double the commission. So the recruiter side for filling it in addition to the salesperson side for finding it. And I filled that job, went back to that founder, said, you know, ask for another one. They gave me another one. I filled that. And as far as I was concerned, you know, and I'm here in my late 20s at this point. That was proof of concept, bro. I was the best sales recruiter ever. So I just went around town telling all the startups that I could help them hire BDRs and SDRs and lead gen people and then built inside that agency and ran on my own for 12 years, a full service recruiting practice that evolved really into any position that impacts revenue, sales, marketing, success, account management, biz dev, sales ops, solutions, architecture, sales engineering, implementation, and just, you know, from like 2006 to, you know, the time that I left in 2017, build up a, you know, really good client base. And, you know, a lot of the companies I was working with started hitting significant growth trajectories. Channel Advisor, Dude Solutions, um, Bandwidth, Pendo, we're, we're either we're going IPO or we're getting acquired by private equity or we're landing significant in investment tranches. And the demand for what I did, because there still wasn't anyone else in town really competing with me, really yanked me out of that company. And I had an unbelievable meeting with Rod and Lee. And they said, you know what? You built this practice. You know all the clients. You know all the candidates. If we tried to keep this, we would fail. We gave you an opportunity to explore it. You have been incredibly successful with it. You've tripled our revenue since you got here. We love you to death. It's like you know saying goodbye to a son, but uh, no non-compete. You go be successful. So I had the great gift of incubating a business inside another for 12 years and then plopping it out and being immediately revenue positive. And then 17 couldn't have been a more beautiful time to launch because we were all on fire around here and the company just scaled and, you know, we really at this point now, everything entry level to leadership, anything that impacts revenue and software, hardware, data, cloud, networking, IT managed services, you know, mobile development, custom, we do med tech, um, really, you know, anything in that kind of one to 500 rapidly growing, pivoting, expanding or transitioning company. We're working across all four time zones now doing some international and um, between the relationships with founders like you that I've built and VC and private equity, we, you know, just kind of organically spread across the country. So it's been, uh, it's been amazing. And the, the specialization in revenue seems to be, you know, a relatively unique thing. I've not encountered a lot of, um, you know, peers who kind of, I've encountered other tech sales recruiters, but I've not encountered an, a practice that really, you know, focuses on helping, founders and scaling companies with anything that impacts revenue. Yep. It's quite the entrepreneurial journey. Um, seeing the opportunity, taking the order uh, before you could fill it and then filling it, growing the business, spinning it out. Um, Less a sales guy, right? It's like, sure, yeah. I can do that. Like, yeah. I don't have to worry about whether or not uh, engineering can design it. I'm just going to close it. Uh, yep. We'll let them deal with it later. And so, you know, I, like I actually, so this is why I started this podcast. I want to have conversations with people that mostly are in my network. And then obviously as that gets going, I want to expand and talk to more people because this isn't unlike a convo we would be having maybe outside of the intros anytime. And there's just a lot of value there because, and I get a lot of value out of it too. Cause I'm like, I, I have this thought that 
you know, sales is uh, not a trend, but it was sort of an overlooked kind of industry for a while. It's like, we have to have tech, it's tech. Like we have tech, we need tech workers. We need, you know, IT, I mean, we don't need IT recruiters, but you know, it's like, oh, like I need help companies find more developers, developers. We were, we're we, I had a company with DevShop. We started a code school. We, we were in that space too. Um, but like, you know, sort of the under overlooked or underappreciated role is, is sales. And so, you know, has that, have people always, it sounds like, I mean, with your experience, you've been doing this part for a while, but, you know, have people's impressions of sales changed or altered uh, over time? And if so, how have they changed and, and where are they kind of in the, you know, I wouldn't, I don't want to say pecking order now and put any companies on the spot, but uh, how has that sort of evolved over time? So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting ask and I love the angle of it. Um, you know, as my business has evolved, I've also watched the founders and early stage companies approach to sales evolve also. And I, I think, you know, a great example would be, you know, you know, it's called Barfield Revenue Consulting. It, it, it's not just called Barfield Revenue Recruiting. And there's a consulting aspect to it as well, because I've worked with a lot of early stage founders and many of them are folks who come from the product or the engineering or you know that side of the house not necessarily the revenue side they don't tend to be you know as often coming from sales or marketing as a startup tech founder they usually have the solution and then they want to take it to market and you get the solution up you got to have engineering and then you, you got to continually you know innovate and improvise and improve but a lot of the mistakes I was watching founders make when they were hiring early stage, they knew they needed sales. They just didn't really know when they needed it and how to maximize it. Because they would say, I've got this great product and it is awesome and it's beautiful and I love it and the world's gonna love it too. And if I hire a salesperson, my problem is solved. I have a thing, I have a person who sells a thing, that means I'm gonna sell things, done. And then the salesperson would fail and then they blame sales. And then they either wouldn't hire another salesperson for a while and would continue to try and grow organically or they would repeat that same mistake and just say, well, it was, it was Nick's fault. We're gonna hire another salesperson and we're gonna hire a better one. And then they hire another one and then it would fail. And when I got them to slow down and look at it, you know, we, we talked about things like product market fit. I'm not a, I'm not a product guy, but what I can ask you is, I know what you think you've got here is fantastic. Do you know what the market need is? And if they want it, and if they do want it, who wants it? Who are we selling to? Who's our buying persona? How do we get to them? And just lots and lots and lots of questions around getting to the pain because if you hire a salesperson, particularly at the level that they were hiring these people, and a lot of times your founders are not going to spend a ton of money on their first sales hire. It's just not. They're going to you know, try and bootstrap it. And so that as a result, you're going to hire someone who's either greener or isn't the right skill fit and throw them into a situation where there is no metrics. There's no, uh, maybe there's not even like script or pitch or, uh, you know, really solid collateral and you're going to, you know, have them, Hey, just, you know, go online. And, you know, this is kind of the kind of target client we want to go after and find some people and, and call them. And, you know, they, that's watching that fail enough times. What has, what the, the way sales has shifted is now there's an appreciation for making sure that you're getting going early with, you know, is my organization ready for sales? And then when it is, am I getting the right level of person in the seat, right? You've seen RevGen and companies like that emerge that are really kind of this outsourced pre-sales situation. RevBoss is another good example of, let me bring on another company that offers a service that's gonna help me pressure test my product against the market, find a fit, give me some qualified demos. I can close them in the beginning. And then once we get some rev in the door, we can scale. Now I've got the money to go and hire the right salesperson. So a lot of my consulting work, Nick, is actually talking people out of hiring sales right now, particularly early, 
explore it, get a fractional, you know, chief revenue officer or a fractional chief marketing officer, or hook up with somebody like method savvy. And, you know, let's, let's see if, if you're going after the right people. And then when we have solved that problem, then you and I can talk about what level of salesperson we hire and, you know, what you need them to be able to do in the beginning. So I think it's, we're, we're getting to a point now in the evolution of um, building these organizations and, and sales hiring that companies are being much more thoughtful and strategic about it as opposed to just, um, you know, throwing more logs on the fire. I mean, if you looked at my LinkedIn, you can see I'm a part of several different groups, you know, Modern Sales Pros and uh, Rev Genius and the Business Development Alliance there are, and Revenue Collective. There are now these communities these online communities where sales leaders will, you know, collaborate. They'll, you know, get in, they'll slack each other, they'll get into breakout sessions, they'll have networking events, virtual or otherwise, and share best practices back and forth and try and learn from each other so that they don't make the same mistakes that others have made before them to fail. And now we're coming out of a recession. And this is my second recession in the recruiting industry. I went through eight, nine, 10. And now we're, we're trying to grind our way out of this one. And what happens to staffing in recession times is we feel it first. So I felt it and I felt it hard. And you know that in March, but we come out of it first. And I really come out of it early because the first human beings and companies are typically looking to hire and think about where we are right now. We're looking back at 20 and how did we do? And we're sitting here looking at 21 and saying, mm, what do we need to do to get where we want to go? And they are absolutely going to start hiring revenue impacting people for sales and marketing earlier than they're going to hire cost center people for other roles, unless there's just some gaping wound. So we've gone from, you know, kind of cruise control in the summer to feeling some heat in the fall to absolute, um, you know, capacity stripping situation right now. It's high velocity. Wow. Um, lots to unpack there. One is just while you're on it with those founders, I mean, is it, is it a kind of a templated approach or is it like, here's my, the Will Barfield three things founders should think about when, before hiring a salesperson. I mean, it sounded like make sure you have product market fit, dip your toe in, try before you buy and, Commit. I don't know. I guess was there, do you have a different way that you kind of traditionally distill that for folks? No, that's a great. And thank you for phrasing it that way. Um, yes and no. I mean, I've got some key questions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that product market fit question, and I'm going to tell. I'm gonna, that's going to be around. All right. Well, who have you sold to, uh, other than like your friends and family, right? Uh, and how long they've been with it? What do they think about it? You know, can you replicate that? We're going to talk about. All right. You want to hire a salesperson? Awesome. Who are they going to report to? You? You're a founder. Are you a former sales leader? No. You probably have things you need to do every day to help move the company forward. But you hire a salesperson, you're, you're essentially signing on to be a parent. How many calls did you make today? How many demos did you book? How many, how many LinkedIn messages did you send this week? What you got in the pipeline? Do you have the time or the ability to manage that human being. If you don't, that really impacts the, the level of person you hire and or the time at which you hire them. And that's why a lot of these folks will outsource it in the beginning to a third party so that only the qualified stuff comes over the fence. They can control their spend, get in like a month to month situation or a short term contract that they can cut off if it's not working. And then they can close the deals themselves and get the feel for that before they bring in a salesperson. But that, you know, who's going to be the leader question is critical because, you know, a lot of that times in a sales rep situation burns to the ground is because the person who hired them doesn't have the time bandwidth or ability to oversee them or hold them accountable. And they're busy, you know, from seven in the morning to eight o'clock at night running a company, oftentimes, you know, family responsibilities and things at home, who knows what other side hustles they got going. And, you know, if they haven't checked in with their sales rep in three days, what have they been doing? And do you even have a way to measure it? 
Um, we're going to talk about tools. Do you have a, do you have a CRM? Uh, you know, where, where are you, tra are you tracking things? Um, you want to hire a salesperson? That's super. Where are the leads coming from? Are you going to use a third-party marketing agency to bring in some MQLs? You know, are, uh, do you have just a bunch of research that you've done over the time and you've dumped it all into uh, HubSpot and, you know, they're going to work out of there? Um, so it's, if there were three questions, it would certainly be around product market fit. You know, it would be around, you know, who's going to lead and, you know, do you have some established processes or already have some opportunities that you, you know, can feed them? And do you have a lot of that? Because, you know, if you've got 150 leads, um, I mean, that's, what is that like a week? So, um, you know, they've, they've got to make sure that, you know, you're, you're bringing in sales at the right time. And I've worked with enough founders on watching them scale and, and how they layer it, uh, to have wisdom to share about practices that I have seen work. The interesting thing about what I do, Nick, I'm not an inside salesperson. I've never sold a software solution in my life. I was always an outside sales guy selling services. I was a relationship, you know, guy. I was a, you know, press the flesh back when we could be around other human beings. Uh, that was how I sold face to face. I just, what I know about software is really osmosis learning and all the founder conversations I've had uh, over the years in, in sales in this space, but I never purport to be a subject matter expert. And if they really need training or they truly need someone to come in and build it for them, I'm going to pull in a consultant from my network and refer a fractional VP of sales or chief revenue officer, or, you know, someone that focuses on, you know, sales training and, and those kinds of things. I can build job descriptions. I can build comp plans. Um, I've done that for years, but the, the process piece, I need to, I need to, you know, bring in a heavy hitter. And is that on the like implementing SaaS or you're saying process for selling SaaS versus selling like professional services? Yeah. This process for selling SaaS. Got yeah. It. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you think they're different versus similar? I mean, cause obviously you know, maybe what it's not as you've seen some of your SaaS clients that you've brought in help for, but what, what's the biggest differences between professional service selling and, and SaaS selling? Well, I mean, there are some core tenants in sales that are always there and always true. Um, and I'm actually, I'm not um, shilling for myself, but there's um, some podcasts that I recorded back in February of last year that were, had been sitting in the can um, that are going to be coming out um, starting this month, one a month. Uh, it's just a, a four-part series I did with my friend Russ Lombardo. So Russ has been in software, tech sales, sales leadership, and sales training for years and years and years. Um, it's been a long time doing it over at Bronto Oracle. Uh, and has done a couple, a couple of consulting engagements for me with my clients. But we, there's some interplay there with me and him around the things that are similar about selling services and being an outside rep and selling SaaS and being an inside rep, right? In terms of you know, prospecting and relationship building and some of those things that, that cut across industries. But you know, the, the cadence that it requires to sell software, the volume of outreach, um, and the, the difficulty, I would say, of you know, connecting and making that engagement and getting someone to give you some time, either with some, you know, a well-written email or a LinkedIn outreach, or just you get lucky because they don't recognize the number and pick up the phone, is a whole lot different than me having the opportunity as an outside sales guy to you know, be at a fundraising event or be at a chamber meeting or be in some kind of a networking capacity and have a you know a conversation that leads to a really good exchange and then you know we kind of like yeah I like you you like me let's let's meet and talk about this later. There's there's that personal you know in the moment exchange where you're reading body language and and reacting to someone that you know you're in the same space with. That's something that I think is, is much, much harder in the, the software sales arena. And I think, honestly, um, to be a really talented software sales rep, you know, takes a package of skills that, you know, exceed ability sometimes that outside salespeople will lean on um, and, you know, can't maximize in more of a virtual and distant selling environment. Yep. Well, that's great. And uh, so, I mean, 
Well, gosh, there's a lot to say. One is when I talk to you, I feel like I'm kind of talking to a mirror in a way where I'm like, oh, that's my problem. Oh, I didn't look at that. I didn't give him something to do for three days. Oh, I don't have a CRM. <laughs> like, oh, I did. Oh, shit. Okay. Now I feel bad for that salesperson. Um, so, but cool. And I, but I love sales and I really value it. And I want to kind of continue to like kind of highlight that here. And, and kind of what I'm hearing is, and I, I guess I know this to be true, is your job is never to come in and say, I'm going to design your sales process. It's I'm going to help you build your sales team. And there are just characteristics that are true of any sales team. You know, you need to understand the company's culture, understand their goals, their KPIs, and, and then you have to go out and build, either find talent or build talent. To that end, what's the biggest sales organization here, like in the triangle? I mean, what's, what's the headcount in sales? I don't even know kind of orders of magnitude. You know, I probably at this point, um, you know, somewhere like Red Hat and Cisco um, or Lenovo, in those instances, some of those folks are direct employees. Um, you know, in, in the Cisco world, you know, they've also got a lot of channel and partner sellers. Um, so that's not always a direct. Most of our companies around here, the startups around here have been direct selling. You know, you don't, they've not been developing channel partnerships and strategic alliances either because A, you know, they're SMB and it's transactional and it's, you know, one to three month sales cycle and it's go, 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 let's close some direct deals, let's raise some more money. And a lot of them either burn out before they get to the point that they're big enough that they develop some channel sales program. They're acquired before that ever happens by some bigger shop. Uh, or maybe that's just never their model and they're just kind of an SMB play and they go all the way through the cycle and exit and maybe even go public, but they don't need, you know, a, a partner sales program. Um, but, you know, Citrix has certainly, you know, scaled significantly. Um, you know, Pendo has certainly built a, a very, very large sales team locally. Like you know, how many bandwidth. they have? Is it 50? Is it hundreds? Is it 200? Is it a thousand? I guess I don't even know. I mean, some of these companies I know have 100,000 employees globally, but how many people are in like the sales organization and then more specifically the triangle? Is that a number that just you have off the top of your head? Or, or even take a Citrix, which is not necessarily the size of IBM or no, I, I wouldn't say that. I don't think there's any company around here that has a, a locally based or remotely locally based sales force. It's more than, you know, maybe a hundred heads. Um, you know, they, Lenovo is going to have salespeople spread around the country in remote situations. Cisco is too. Red Hat is too. Red Hat has a significant org internally here, but you know, they got enterprise reps spread around the country. Pendo is to the point where they've got enterprise reps spread around the country and, you know, overseas. So, you know, they're probably in that same zone in terms of size. I think they're, you know, in the 400s in terms of employee count at this point. And I'd say, you know, their sales org is probably somewhere between 75 and 100. Um, yep. So, I mean, but we, we don't have immense ones here. It, you know, most of our companies in this space are going to be, you know, they're going to be sub 500 in total number of employees, many of them sub 100. And you're talking about sales force sizes that can be anywhere from two to, you know, maybe 20. And when it's 20, it's starting to get, you know, pretty big for, you know, one of our shops that's, you know, locally founded. Um, and, you know, we've, when I'm doing a sales rep scale, I mean, I was working with Chaz at Pendo early and we were building the BDR layer and then building the account executive layer and then the senior account executive layer and then the enterprise layer, you know, staff the BDRs first, externally staff some AEs, but not all the slots because we want to give places for the BDRs to graduate into. Same at senior AE level and you, that evolved over the span of about 24 months. Um, and you know, at, at its biggest, before I kind of pulled out of the sales recruiting side of things with them on the internal team build, you know, they were probably you know, right at about you know, 20, fluctuating between 26 and 34. Um, when I really kind of unbuckled from, you know, the, the sales hiring process there. Got it. And that's, that is kind of what I was after, which was, you know, what, what's just the scope of magnitude. I mean, there's sort of the founder hire your first sale. And then there's also the kind of building and scaling a team. Like I've got product market fit. I have a process. I probably even, maybe this is once it might be beyond or sort of beyond the founder decision. They might already have a VP even. They might have something. They have some uh, amount of something to say, I need to build to a scale. And it's not like, okay, immediately hire a hundred salespeople, but a big team. And some of these companies, Pendo is uh, like, you know, multiple rounds of uh, private capital financing, yeah. 
maybe could go for public financing at some point, but that last round is $50 million. So good product market fit, growing, growing globally, not uh, some, that's not a drug development company where once they get the patent, it's just worth billions. I mean, they have to work it and have to make sales. They do. Um, so that's 40 or 50 people. Okay, cool. Cause I think, I mean, I think of this area as, and we're talking about the triangle area of North Carolina for all my two listeners, but, um, you know, as rich in talent, we always talk about what's the talent, what's the ecosystem. And, you know, when you have great talent, you know, all this other stuff is possible. And I'm just trying to think of how do we, I always think of you will about like, all right. Uh, so there's a sales ecosystem here too. Like I want companies to come here. I want partners of mine to be like, it's not just like higher tech talent because it's cheaper than Boston. It's like, no, nah, man, fuck that. Like there's sales talent. We, you need to sell yeah. something to somebody. And if do we have good salespeople, I know we have at least, I mean, one, and you got, you know, peers that we're all friends with and stuff that like uh, can be building, helping build sales organizations. So, you know, we've got not only the ecosystem, we've got resources in, you know, Barfield Revenue Company, ad plug, you owe me some money, just kidding. But, That's you fine. know, also, but in the people, right? Demo. So who, you know, speak to our ecosystem. Are you, I mean, hopefully, obviously you can't grow a business if you're just like picking the shelves dry. It's like, oh, there's no talent. But we overlook it, right? It's always tech talent. It's science and inventions and money flowing through grants. But what about the people that are like making the transactions occur? Maybe just speak to the ecosystem more broadly. So well said. And this, this does need to be about market talent and draw. And how do we bring more companies here? How do we grow more companies here? And I'm going I'm to hit that from a couple of different perspectives. Number one, I would say we've got a good sales core here. Most of our startups, and you know this, are, or have been in the SMB space. So what have we developed? We've developed a sales um, ecosystem here where we're, we've got SDRs, BDRs, we've got AEs, account executives, we've got some senior and mid people and a, and a sprinkling of enterprise. I would say enterprise level locally grown talent is probably where we are the weakest. We haven't had that many startups that got going focused on the enterprise level. And we haven't had that many that have matured to the point that they built an enterprise rep program. Pendo did, Bandwidth did. Those are examples of one that I work with that have built enterprise rep level, even strategic alliance level um, hiring. But you have few, you're just going to have fewer of those. Most of our enterprise people that are here in market are actually working for a company out of New York or the Bay or Austin or one of those other, you know, startup markets that's much more mature than ours and has a whole lot more companies in it and has a whole lot more investment dollars in it. And so a lot of our, you know, folks that kind of graduate from senior AE here and are like, well, you know, I don't see a lot of local enterprise jobs open. All I got to do is go to angel list or LinkedIn. And there's plenty of people that are hiring remote enterprise reps. And so they get picked off by them. I would also say that from a leadership standpoint, we've, we've done a good job evolving, you know, BDR, SDR leaders and inside sales managers. Um, but we, we, and even directors, we don't have a ton of local, really well-rounded VP of sales talent that learned it all here. We've got some folks that have relocated here, but most of the time when I'm talking to VP of sales candidates about positions, they've come from another market and either just got here or were in another market and came here for a role and are now looking for their next. So it's just, a, it's a maturity thing. And you've talked to everybody about how our market is maturing as a startup, you know, area and a tech hub. And, you know, we, we just, we're still experiencing some of those growing pains. Uh, the good news um, that we're dealing with a lot of people, we were already a desirable place to live but now that we're coming out of COVID and a lot of these urban areas are looking even more at us saying, hmm, that might be a really good place for me to go because everybody is remote nowadays. They don't have to move now, but I'm reaching out and saying, Hey, I got this cool job with a company in Raleigh. And they're like, yeah, I'll talk to you because they land a job. They work remotely. And then they come, you know, when it makes sense, they don't have to move immediately, but at least they got an anchor. So that's good. I think we're going to, at the rate that we're growing talent, we're also 
pulling talent from other markets and it's going to you know make us more muscular overall but you know we're still getting there um and i think that uh it just the, the more we can do to advance our local companies and you know grow them and support them and have them you know evolve and hire and develop sales talent will will build a better base an example of a, a client that i'm working with right now that's a, a prototypical build for me they raised a nice round in uh the q3 in q4 they hired a chief revenue officer because the ceo is a developer by trades and engineer hired a chief revenue officer who'd been a ceo before and has exited multiple startups he was not local he's working remote for them out of dc and he and I are working on scaling his team here. What is he hiring first? Is he hiring a sales rep? No. He's hiring a BDR manager. He's going to hire the leader first for the outbound team, build a ground level outbound team, and we'll hire three or four BDRs. Then we'll hire the AEs. And then when it's ready, he's got a network of people that he can reach out to where he can hire remote enterprise people wherever he wants. So much like I described with the way that Chaz evolved Pendo, that's what this guy is going to do with me here. We're going to probably do 12 to 15 hires this year between a couple of leaders, a BDR leader is going to sit over the BDRs and build that org. We'll hire a couple of AEs. Those folks will report to the chief revenue officer until we've got too much head. Then we'll bring in a, an inside sales manager who will sit over those AEs, whether or not the BDR manager reports up or that both of them report to the chief revenue officer to be determined. But we'll layer and scale, build that pyramid. And then, um, you know, that then they'll hire externally for the enterprise. And that's what I've seen happen. The only fix there, what I would like to see is that he doesn't have to go to his enterprise network because we have a mature enough market that we've got talent at every level for every need. And I think that we're still getting there, but we're, we're on the right track. We lost some ground last year when the world shut down. Um, but at the velocity that I'm seeing things come in this year, we're certainly, you know, trying to rush real hard at making up that ground. Yep. And so, you know, what are the key ingredients to getting more of that uh, level of sales person that rounds out kind of our ability to have a, a full cycle sales, you know, ecosystem here? Well, we need to have more of our area companies that, you know, are taking a product to enterprise level buyers so that these local people have an enterprise position to evolve into. They don't want to be senior account executives or mid-market forever. Yep. And unless your goal is to be a leader of a mid-market team and you want to shift from player to coach, if you were ready to go to enterprise and when you go online or you work your network, most of the opportunities are with companies that are not here, then you're going to take one of those remote jobs. And what can happen is if that goes really well, you might just move. I got a good friend of mine who was at uh, channel advisor and he was killing it mid market and he wanted to go enterprise level desperately. And where did he end up? California. This was pre COVID. So he had to move for the job. But now he's out there and he's like, I don't ever have to come back. But there's a billion zillion enterprise jobs out here. Jeez. So, you know, we we need we just need to get to that point that we have enough companies that are selling at that level or that we're attracting to this market companies that are selling at that level so that we can, you know, build that uh, bench at that enterprise mm -hmm. rep level. Um, more extensively and more quickly, um, the the VP level talent and those things. I think that that honestly is going to be fed faster by people who are in those larger metros: New York, uh, San Fran, Austin, Chicago, Boston, DC. Um, that are just like I'm moving to North Carolina because I don't want to be in this huge city anymore. I don't want to pay these you know high cost of living anymore. And I, there's opportunity there and I can make same money with uh, less expense and, you know, be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Yep. And so, 
you know, to revisit or to start back from the beginning then, you know, if someone was, you know, looking for uh, our strong suit, right? So like I'm either an investor and I want to buy a company, start a company, build a company, or there is some company there that I know I can scale and everything. Our, our, our ecosystem is really great at help, help me kind of, you know, articulate that right so it's you know we've got in terms of sales right we were great at, we've got a lot of we know we have a lot of college and mba talent you know a lot of those want to stay here we have a lot of bd i mean and maybe like let's like abstract a little bit of the technical terms out of it but you've know, got a lot of bdr sdrae stuff but basically we can this area you want to plop a company down you're going to be able to like scale a great sales organization up until the point that you're a certain size to when you're really ready to mature to the next level at that point it's, I'm, first of all, for perspective, this is a great problem to have. Some people are like still building. They're like, I, I need an angel investment group, right? I can't even get anything going. You know, like their ecosystem is very much in its infancy. We're saying, okay, well, if we want one startup to be, you know, we need a bunch of like, yeah, AWSs or a bunch of companies to turn into whatever these companies, publicly traded, well-known, you know, SaaS or tech companies that have, you know, multi-channel, whatever, you know, billion dollar a year revenue market cap earnings reports, high rises, towers. Yeah, like that, that may happen one day or it may not, we don't know. But right now we are great at, you know, what kind of helped fill in that, that blank. I'd say that, you know, for companies that want to build the first probably three levels of a sales and marketing and success org, we uh, got plenty of talent at great prices. Now, are we are we cheap? No. And uh, is our talent here getting more expensive by comparison to where it was before? Absolutely, because some of these people, I mean, they're picking up remote BDR jobs, making you know money that people are getting paid in California. So we're not going to always be the cheapest, but we got a lower cost of living uh, as compared to some of these larger metros. And you can come here and scale a, an organization. Um, on the sales side with a really good bench of talent um, for, I mean, you can, you can have a, a run of three, four years where you're not you know, hurting at all to staff any part of the revenue organization. And it may get you to exit without, before you even have to you know, get too heavy. Um, but no, if it's, if you are looking to build it in house, meaning you're not going to outsource, you know, sales overseas or to, you know, some sort of uh, um, lead generation or, or demo creation program. Um, you know, I would argue that if you compare us certainly to New York or to San Francisco or to Austin, really even to Atlanta, um, you can do it here uh, comparatively less expensively, not dramatically, but comparatively and do it very fast because there's good talent available and um, there's companies like us that have got access to those people. And when you plug into me, you know, I can reach into my network and, you know, get you folks who've said, Hey, Will, when you hear about a company that's in this industry vertical, I really want to be in healthcare software as a service, or, you know, if you, I really want to be in cybersecurity. All right. I got people that I've had those conversations with and maybe it's been 12, 14 months since I talked to them and I'm like, Hey, Nick, here we go. They're in town. Right. These guys reached out to me look, they're interviewing. Let's go. Um, so I, I would say that, you know, that's, I would say as our strength, um, you know, we don't have huge VCs here. You know, we've, we've got, you know, um, angel and, and, and a, uh, and then some follow on B here, but much like that, by comparison, I'd say we're, we're in that really strong, if to use a minor league baseball comparison as a guy who cut his teeth in, in sales and his professional career as a, a rep pushing tickets, um, corporate in minor league baseball, we are, we are really, really solid, um, you know, double a, uh, with, with some triple a action here. Um, we're not in the majors, but you know, if, if you want some of the best, the best talent in minor league ball was always double a, and those are the ones that would go to the, to the pros. Um, so, I mean, from a dub, from that perspective, from that comparison, we're absolutely super muscular 
at the the AA level, and we can um, we can someone comes to us and says, hey, we need to build a, a sales org here, and we're looking for you know BDRs and AEs and some CS and you know some kind of digital marketing up to director level. I'm like, you know, you're going to have no trouble. Let's go. Um, and I think as our market matures and our companies mature and we, and we add levels and we have fun, someone like Pendo that exits huge and maybe stays around. And, you know, we have some more of those towers downtown that are our companies that stayed and scaled and grew and built benches. Um, you know, then in five years, Nick, I think, you know, you and I'll be having this conversation and I'll have a completely different song I'll be singing about our level of maturity as long as we continue on the track that we're that we're pathwaying on right now. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, community and ecosystem are are always sort of important um, because it's nice to see the evolution and continued growth and improvement of where we just like live and work. And I, I almost feel like we have the luxury of like not talking about it as much because we have a good economy here and a good business ecosystem. But, you know, and even before it wasn't bad, but it wasn't the same like start. It was like, oh, startup ecosystem started. Like we got to get it going because it was one of those where like if it doesn't get going, it just will never go. And, and it, it was not, it wasn't a determined yes. It wasn't like an automatic yes that we could make a viable technology and entrepreneurship startup ecosystem. And as an entrepreneur it, with an interest in tech, I had a vested interest. So I was like, kind of, that has been important to me. And and now it's just more of like, you know, I mean, it's not as simple as I want like my, my home value to go up. That's not what I'm doing all. I'm like, okay, well, I want to sell my home for more than I bought it. First, I'm going to start a podcast and interview all these motherfucking people. And then dot, 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 I'm going to get 3% appreciation year over year. So, I mean, obviously we want more of a greater good than just selfish, but we do selfishly want our, our markets, our communities, our businesses to be good and to thrive. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I don't know who else, I, I don't know why I'm stuck on this and, and, and you answered it. So I'm, we're done there, but like, I, I'm t- like obsessed with that. Like I want more people seeing more options about our area and, and more big money to come in. We know companies can start, um, but as they're going for that next round and someone's like, well, is this a place to scale the business? I want, you know, there to be confidence from that in market investment or out of market, large scale investment to say, we've seen it. We know you can grow the first three level. I mean, they're not going to use the same sales words, but we know you can grow an order sales organization. We know you can start and build a sales team or another strategic partner. I mean, I'm in some of these convos where it's like, oh yeah, we can get some tech talent here. I'm like, yeah, like sales, man. Like we've got sales to like, well, you come here and let's like build up the sales team. It doesn't have to just be like a place where we have to always be fighting for more IT, more development talent, more whatever. Like I want to, cause it's a good quality of life and all that, but there's other fields and there's other areas that we can excel. There's so many kids out of UNC and Duke and state that like aren't necessarily engineers or designers that they like their business, their analysts, they're, they want to do sales. So I love this idea of having people think about this area and this market as like, man, I can go make a strategic investment and, and, and start a new headquarters or start my East coast office and I can build it up. Yeah. I mean, I think it's almost obvious, right? It's not Atlanta. It's not, you know, New York city or whatever. You see this huge, there's huge businesses, huge buildings, like the, the corporate suite is all there, right? So you kind of just know. Yes. I mean, here, when we get there, it will be like, we're not even talking about the ecosystem anymore because it's just like, it's just exploded or, or what, I don't even know. It's different problems to have, but um, so yeah. So people aren't like, oh, I'm going to go there and it's not, Raleigh-Durham isn't going to be someone's, well, it is going to be people's global headquarters, but they're not like, huh, you know, like where do I just get everything I possibly need? It's like, no, that's why you still go to like a New York or Chicago or something, but here, like they know they can have a solid upstart and a good plan on building a business. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm almost like, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm almost like just preaching to my, myself, which is I want other joint venture opportunities. I want like businesses, I want companies to kind of like just understand that that's a viable piece of our, of our ecosystem. And it's a, a strength um, that we have. So I think that's cool. It and is, you, and, you know, the nice thing, Nick, is we've got folks that at this point have had an exit and built a second company here. I mean, yeah. Scott Wingo is a great example uh, or built a third company here. So the more of that, that happens that we have some exits and some people that stay and then start another one uh, and show, look, you can scale once here and there's enough bench depth. You can scale again. And whether that's on the tech side or on the sales side, you know, I think those examples and, and those voices being heard 
in you know situations like this podcast, but also you know, in the communities where we're we're trying to you know, talk to founders about this is a great place to start it. Um, you know, th those are you know good real world examples. We've had enough time with this. I mean, I've been in it 16 years to to watch people you know try it, fail, try it, win, do it again. And the more of those stories that get out there, the better, because it's a great example of the ability to, all that energy was drawn from here. I mean, Channel Advisor was grown here. Spiffy's being grown here. Um, and so that, that's, that's great proof in the pudding. Yep. So, and again, I mean, I, I just like went on a long, long monologue about that. And I'm even trying to think of, you know, I've had op opportunities and I try to sell it too, where it's like, oh yeah, like let's open a big, you know, why not open your big headquarters here, you know, or your, your Southern, your Southeast office or your yeah. East coast office, because you need all the pieces, right? So the more we can recruit business here, that's, that's better for the whole kind of rising tide. And it just creates more opportunities for all of us, but switching gears, I, I have this question, how, like you have like 15,000 uh, follow or whatever you call it, connections on LinkedIn, 14,000. How many did you have last year? It feels like this exploded. Do you, I mean, has this been like sort of you've been steady growth or did you have like explosive growth in the past like 12 months? So um, it's been relatively explosive. Okay. And there's, there's a couple of factors that have led to that. One, you know, the company that I had uh, before the world told me that that wasn't going to work anymore. You know, I had a team of 15 and I had recruiters and I had folks that were doing a lot of the ground and pound, you know, source and screen, having a lot of the candidate conversations and filling the jobs. And I was, had evolved to a point where I was doing more picking my spots and working on certain roles and serving certain clients. But a lot of that stuff was outsourced. You and I worked together during that period of time and you dealt with other points of contact than me. When COVID hit and my world changed and it was, you know, no longer me and my wife and the crew of 13, it was me and my wife. Um, if we're going to stay alive, I got to recruit my tail off. So I'm back in candidate mode. And as opposed to pre Barfield revenue in the, you know, 16, 15, 14, 13 days, LinkedIn is so much a part of every single thing I do every day. It's become so critical to my business that, you know, I'm constantly on there, you know, reaching out to people, making connections, broadening my network, because number one, every candidate I talk to, I'm going to hit connect. Every candidate I want to talk to, I'm going to hit connect um, and then see who they know and hit connect. And as I broaden that web, and I reach out to candidate X who doesn't know me, but sees that we have 89 uh, connections in common and I do recruiting and sales and marketing. My response rate back, connect acceptance rate back is incredibly high. And it gets much higher as I look like the right kind of person to talk to. Additionally, when things were slower from a recruiting perspective, I mean, when companies froze hiring in March, if you freeze hiring, what's a recruiter going to do? I mean, you know, what are we going to do? It's, yeah. So what I started doing was a whole lot of this. Doing podcasts and doing webinars and putting out free content and inviting friends to things and, and trying to broaden my network of subject matter expertise conveyance. Because if I'm going to win business, and I have been with companies out of San Francisco or New York, and they, they want to be able to see online that I'm talking a lot about this discipline that I've got, you know, I'm connected to people that they find impressive and that I've have spoken about my ability to do this and that they can download things or read things or access things. So I worked super hard in the spring and summer and really into the early fall on being as ever present on LinkedIn as I could. And you've seen my post traffic. My posting on LinkedIn is not just about sales and it's not just about recruiting. I mean, I'm, I'm touting nonprofits and I'm helping with fundraisers and I'm promoting my friends' businesses and um, speaking about causes. And so I'm, I try to be broad and deep and build that web. And really, you know, I probably at this point, because of my active recruiting 
and the inbound traffic and the intentional national branding work I've been doing, you know, through LinkedIn, I'm probably averaging, you know, about a, you know, a hundred new connections a week or so. And, um, it's just, you know, I, I hope there's no cap, um, because I, 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 you know, live and breathe inside that, um, that resource. I couldn't do what I do without it. What were you, where were you at last year? I guess this time would have been sort of like pre COVID sort of things was rolling right along. Uh, somewhere in the low thousands. Lo- like two, 3000 or something like that. Oh, no shit. I, I feel like I go do these, I, I'm, you know, early into my own sort of podcast and, and I, I, I need to get better and I'm pretty terrible at it, but I will we'll talk for an hour and then I'm like, oh man, I'm onto something like, you know, you need to be teaching people how to like grow their LinkedIn. And I still haven't asked you, you know, how are you doing sales in this time? <laughs> because there's lots of people that need just like, they need a refresher uh, on like, man, what are you doing? So you had, this is a success story. Uh, you know, like you had, 3,000, whatever LinkedIn connections this time last year. Now you have like 15, 14 or 15,000 and you're active. It's part of your business. What are a couple top easy peasy tips that you're, you know, you would want to convey to others specifically about LinkedIn. And then also know that I'm going to ask you about like, how are you, what is your advice to salespeople of different walks of life, different types, whatever, but broadly in a time that, you know, pressing the flesh is no longer a deal. And well, that, that has so many different little, you know, spurs, but talk about first about like, what are your tips on LinkedIn? Like just give me some best practices that you're employing that you've seen a lot of success with. So as we close here uh, and, you know, happy to, to cover that. I mean, we can't network really the way we used to. Uh, we, we have to network virtually, you know, a, a great thing about um, LinkedIn and I mean, it's such a natural fit for what I do for a living, but the practices that I execute on there can be, you know, utilized by anyone. You know, I always try to just, you know, find people that I think are, you know, potentially well aligned with me from a business to business perspective and, and, or they're a candidate that I could use right now, or I know that I'm going to need that talent in the future. And I will send a connection request. I don't customize a note. I don't, I don't, I don't pitch. I just click connect. And then I see if they accept and you know, 80 to 85% of the time I get an acceptance. And then when they accept, I thank them for that acceptance. And then I communicate to them why. And it's a custom written note that shows that I did my homework. You know, I reached out to you because of this reason you're in this role at this company. And I want to connect with people at your level because of this reason, or you look like a great fit for the kind of positions that I fill. And I want you to be connected to a good recruiter or what have you. If they don't connect, I monitor it. About a week goes by. I track who hasn't accepted my connection request. And then I will send them an in-mail, right? Because I pay for that. So I can, with LinkedIn recruiter, I can reach out to any human being on the planet. So I will send them a, a custom can in mail and say, you know, hey, I sent you a connection request last week. You may be very selective about who you connect with. Let me explain to you why I reached out. And then put together the note that I would have sent them essentially if they'd accepted my connection request the first time. And then my acceptance rate there is probably, again, about 80%. So I got a really good hit rate on those kind of things. And in each of those, instances, whether it's the first time that I say connect and then they respond, or it's uh, when I send that email and then they agree to connect with me, I always offer to help in some way at the end of my message. You know, is, if there's anything that I can do to support you or what you're doing, let me know. If you're in the job hunt mode, I could, would certainly love to talk to you about how I help people there. You know, if you are looking to grow your business and you want to just jump on a Zoom for 30 minutes and let's talk about how to you know, bring more referrals in the door, try to add value every time. And you know, too many people, we're talking about salespeople, too many people use LinkedIn to sell. And you can tell they're cutting and pasting and they're dropping some blurb in there that, or they're auto sending it to a bunch of people. And, it's, and they, sometimes they forget, it's like, hey, Jim. And you're like, no, my name's not Jim. Or, hey, blank, 
because they didn't, you know, up, update their template before they hit enter. Um, you know, if if you're offering something, some if you give without asking, and that's a philosophy of mine, give without asking, you will get back 10x. You don't know the sales cycle on then that 10x will come back. But if you're not concerned with the sales cycle length, you just like to win. You just don't have to win the day, but help help someone feel like that you're trying to get them closer to that win and they'll give you gifts back. Yep. So that parlays a little bit into the sales piece, you know, which is yes. how are people, how are you effective at selling or what's your advice for those that need to sort of get better at selling right now when, when some of the previous tactics are just no longer available? Wow. Um, you know, I got a two ears, one mouth uh, philosophy, listen more than you talk. Um, I think you need to understand where, where, where people are and what they need. They may not need what you do right now. Uh, they may not need what I do right now. But if I, you know, build a good rapport and have a good exchange and find out what they do need, uh, then you've got the opportunity to say, hey, that's interesting. I can connect you with such and such over here who is a contact of mine that can solve that problem for you. You didn't just make a sale, but brother, you made a friend. Mm. And now you're not just a vendor. Now you're a resource. Will solve my problem. I'm going to reach back out to Will again. Hey, Will. Last time we talked, like you referred me to Nick and he did a great job on our mobile app or our website or whatever. And we've got this other thing that just popped up. Who would you recommend? Just like Google values links back to your website and you show up higher in the search rankings because you are more valuable, the more links you got coming back to you, the more reasons people have to return because you gave them something before you asked them for anything. What's happened with me and the reason that the, we, the business has been able to grow organically and come out of this nightmare was all the, the, that I paid in to individuals and the you know, hiring managers and the CEOs and company leaders for so long that you know, when at time, I mean, I didn't even have to ask to get paid back. They were just like, hey, I want to connect you to this candidate or hey, you know, I want to connect you to this client. I'm going to um, wrap it up with this story. And a guy a couple of years ago, he was working for a local company um, and he, his uh, fiance got a job in Chicago and, you know, she was, um, you know, coming out of a med school and she was interning. So it was time to move. I mean, there's no questions asked. They're going to get married. She's, her career's taken to Chicago. He's a software sales guy. And, you know, so he reached out to me and said, hey, I'm going to Chicago. You know, do you work on positions in Chicago? And at that point, I didn't have any. And I said, I don't. He said, do you know any recruiters up there? I said, not yet, hang on. So I reached out to a buddy of mine, Gary King, who's part of the, uh, in America, the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals. And I said, Gary, help me out. I got a guy that needs connectivity in Chicago. Do you know any recruiters through your AAISP network? So he dings all his people at AAISP. I got people reaching out to me saying, oh, connect with this recruiter and that recruiter and probably gave the guy a dozen different recruiters in Chicago that he could talk to. He was blown away. He was like, that's unbelievable. Thank you. And he used one of those to get a job. He reached out to me on Monday last week. He said, I'm, in, I'm ready to hire. It's your turn. I didn't know that that would ever happen. I didn't care. I just wanted to help him. And I think in sales, if you're just focused on you know, solving the problem, not your problem, then you will make that sale. You'll get that deal and you'll build a loyal customer. And, you know, that's, you know, I think that methodology can't fail regardless of the industry or discipline. Yep. Cool. Well, I mean, gosh, this could have, this could open a whole new, well, you know, let's let plug the, the Will Barfield uh, podcast. So what do you have coming up content wise? Because I have lots of thoughts and questions and would love to hear more about selling, you know, are there, and you don't have to answer them now because of the time, but like, you know, are there big ponds to fish in, you know, like a, the equivalent of networking? I mean, you're talking about joining groups, but, you know, uh, building relationships, starting with add value first and then, you know, knowing that it'll come back and you don't know when and you don't know from where, actually, <laughs> that 10x might come from one 
one person, even though you sprinkled your, your stuff out amongst many, but um, so all good, good tips. Are you pretty, you are, so you're, I want to hear more. Are you, you are producing some content. You're going to kind of put that out on the internet. How can people sort of follow, get in touch, et cetera. You can go to my website. You can, there's a connection to the podcast there. I did a bunch of podcasts and worked with a great, um, you know, partner of mine and, and invested some money and time and effort in recording and the studio and all that stuff and built a lot of content pre COVID the four things that are getting ready to come out, been in the can for a year. So it's a sales training four part series, uh, January, February, March, April. And as soon as the first one is released, I'll hit it on my LinkedIn, but any, you can go to my website anytime and look at some blogs that I've written and listen to some podcasts. It's also in my email signature. There's a link, you know, to listen to the podcast and it's all around sales and networking and, uh, sales and marketing working together. And this latest one's about sales training and it's a four part series with Russ. So uh, I'll certainly, you'll see when it goes out that, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll push it online, but I'd like to do more of that intentionally. Um, but we're, we're not at a place yet where we're back spending, you know, money intentionally on marketing. We'll get there. Um, but we, uh, we, we, we let Peter have it um, you know, pretty bad last year to pay Paul. So we're, uh, we're, 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 <laughs> we're paying Peter back. Okay. And uh, once, okay, okay, once, yeah, yeah. once Peter's square, then, uh, there'll be a whole lot more intentional podcast work from me out there. That's right. No, that's great. All right. So barfieldrevenue.com is your website. Yep. Barfield and, Revenue uh, Consulting is barfieldrevenue.com. Yep. That's right. And, uh, obviously I, I want to encourage people to follow you on LinkedIn, but now I personally feel a challenge to go start getting better at LinkedIn and grow my following. You did it. Others can too. Um, all right. Thanks a lot for joining, Will. Nick, I, I really appreciate the invite. I appreciate the friendship. I think you and I could, you know, keep going and going. And um, right. it's um, been a wonderful experience. The, um, the great thing is that we got people like you and me in this market, which are great examples of folks that can, you know, start a business and survive and start another and we're our advocates for what we're trying to do around here. And, you know, I love that so many people are pouring so much energy and effort into, um, you know, trying to show what the triangle can be.